Glad you are here uh, today. Uh, this is uh, this is November. October is the is the month where everybody uh, expresses uh, appreciation to pastors, and we all feel really awkward about it. And so, as you know, uh, this is my revenge month because we're going to express appreciation to all the volunteers. Uh, and so, uh, oops, sorry. Let me go back. There we go. So, if I could have, can we bring that lights up a little bit so everybody can see them? Just. Uh, yeah, um, and so if all of the, the people who are working Next Gen Ministries, Next Gen Ministries is really, really important, amen? We will tell the next generation. Uh, and so everyone who works in children's ministry and nursery volunteers and our youth volunteers and the, the teen leadership, if you'd all stand up. Some of them are in back here. They even brought the kids in and all of that. Yep, we got all over. Everybody stand up who does it. Let's give them a hand. Thank you so much. Stay standing. I think the ushers have, have something for you, and you can sit down when the ushers uh, give that to you. But I, I just want to say I really, really, really appreciate you guys. Uh, everybody has their gift mix, and I love our children, and I love our teens, and I'm uh, happy to, to fight for them and to build programs for them and to raise money for them so long as I don't actually have to work with them. And so I am so thankful for, for you guys that do this uh, with, the, with the kids. The last time I uh, worked with the kids, Pastor Dennis, Dennis and I uh, did the nursery for an event, and by the end, uh, Pastor Dennis was tied up in the corner, and I was in a in fetal position in another corner, and it was, you know, they said, yeah, you guys keep working with adults, and so just really appreciate that. So thank you very much. Did we get them all, all the kids back there? Did everybody get them? Oh, we need to get our, our children's workers uh, right back there. Uh, and thank you to, to May Lynn, who is our... Um, our, uh, I'm not sure what the exact title is, but she's functioning kind of as our children's pastor while Ashley's gone, and so she's done a, a super job uh, back there. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, let's just express thanks to all of them again. So, Well, we've uh, been in this series, Connecting with God, Building a Deep Relationship with the Creator of the Universe, and I, I've told you before, this kind of comes out of my own understanding about uh, how we, we need to, to have a vital connection to God. Uh, and I think sometimes that, that's lacking today. Uh, religion, in some ways, has become a smaller portion of our time. You all remember the days when we went to church, you know, we went to Sunday school, and then we went to church, and then we went, did, you know, ate with people in the afternoon, and then we went to evening service, and if you were a teen, there was fifth quarter afterwards. Uh, in my case, we always went to Ocean Shores for that. Uh, uh, that was just, you know, built a fire out there and had a, had a great time. I didn't know that hot dogs came without sand until I went to college, and so, um, so they... But, but today, it, it all gets crunched down into just this hour for a lot of people. And so um, I, we, we kind of started out talking about how God does this, how we get closer. And the verse we've been working with we, for this whole thing is, uh, is James 4.8. Let's say this together. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4.8. Uh, and I, want, I just want to encourage you to remember that, James 4.8, because James was the brother of Jesus. And so for me, it's just always amazing for that, that it is the brother of Jesus that, that makes this comment, right? I mean, we've said it several times, but very few of us think our siblings are God in the flesh, right? You know, it's just, that's not the way we think about it. Um, and so the, the kind of the categories we talked about, the first Sunday we I did kind of spiritual disciplines, and some of those connect better than others. Uh, and the reason for that is we're wired up a little differently. And so this is what I sometimes think of as spiritual love languages. 
You all know what love languages are, right? It's how your spouse receives love and how you receive love and how you give. And you kind of got to get on the same page or it breaks down. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Certain ways of connecting to God work better with one group of people over another. And the first one we talked about was the hands, people who connect to God through service. It's just when they're serving others, they're doing things like that, that's when they really connect to God. And often these kind of people sometimes have trouble with, with corporate worship on Sundays because it's like, eh, that's not really how I connect, okay? Um, but what I would say to you and to all of these is we all need to connect in all of these areas, amen? So we're going to talk about head, but if you're a head person and you don't serve, you're not spiritually healthy, you know? If you're a heart person, you love the music or you love getting out in nature, but you're not thinking about God, you're not spiritually healthy. So you, any of those, we all connect in different ways. Last week we talked about our hearts, connecting with our emotions. Uh, these people, if, if, if music is the way they connect, they love the music, you know. And, and when that's all done, they, they, they'd, be, they'd look at me and think, okay, five minutes, Pastor, go. You know, <laughs> uh, and, and, that, and that's okay. Uh, that's, that's the way my dad was. Uh, my dad usually by the time the music was done, he could go home right there. That was fine. My sister was like that. Uh, as well. Uh, but, but you are artists. Those, these people are the people that see art where everyone else sees junk. We talked about that and how God is, is an artist. And so today we want to talk about uh, connecting to God with our heads or, or with our, our thinking, uh, how we think about the world. And, and I gotta, just got to say, these are my people, man. <laughs> I, 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 this is how I connect to God, which isn't surprising, given that I'm a, a teacher in all of that. But, but it, this one is so, so important. And, and so I really appreciate the fact that you're going to let me do two hours of sermon today. And so, <laughs> no. <laughs> I could do it, but I'm not sure you could. Um, there, there's so much I wanted to say about this. I should probably do a whole sermon series on it. But... Um, but it's just it's such an important sort of thing. Um, and so when, when we think about head people, and, and I know in our church there's probably a lot of head people because that's the way I preach. I'm what people call a teaching preacher, right? Uh, and so I, I love to dig into the Greek and to the cultural setting and to all, all of those kinds of things. Uh, so here's, here's the words that kind of describe us. Heads people, head people's words are understanding, knowledge, wisdom, truth. Those are the things we, we really value a, a lot. And people like to dive into God's Word and, and know more. A lot of you are like note takers and you write things down. Or uh, my dad's generation, they would write in the margin of, of their Bibles. How many remember writing in the margin of your Bible? I remember the first time I did that, it, it felt so naughty to write in a book. It's like, ooh, this is cool, you know. So thus began my lifelong addiction to writing in Bibles. So, um, so I do want to give a little context for why this is important to me. My, my journey into kind of discovering this about myself uh, began when I was in, in the ninth grade. And between the ninth grade and the tenth grade, uh, a, a friend of mine named Teresa uh, had scoliosis of the spine, uh, and they, she was going to have surgery. Um, and, and we had a big party just before she left. We were looking at seeing her when she got back, and, and when she got to Seattle, and they gave her the anesthesia, she had an allergic reaction, and she died. Um, now, for a group of ninth graders going into 10th grade, that's a pretty big crisis, and it threw me into the spiritual crisis. Um, I, I struggled with that uh, for a long time, and, and later on that summer, I got to go to camp, a high school camp. Another reason I really believe in sending your kids to camp. It's so powerful. I uh, cornered what was probably the 
best known youth pastor on our district at that point and kind of asked him a lot of pointed questions uh, about that. And um, he, he, you know, was smart enough to say, listen, I don't, I don't have an answer for everything, right? I, I don't always know. But he pointed me towards a scripture that became kind of my life verse, and it's found in Isaiah 55, and this is what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you would think that wouldn't be particularly helpful, but I found that immensely comforting to realize that God knows more than I do. That, that God, God is the only one that can see over the horizon and around the corner. God is the only one that, that really does understand. And, and I'm, I, I would grow to live in a world where there's all kinds of things in our world and all kinds of theological questions I don't have a perfect answer for. But I trust my Heavenly Father who knows more than I do. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are better than than mine. And so that started me on a, on a quest to understand God. And you find this idea in Scripture really e everywhere. I just want to introduce us to just a few Scriptures to kind of uh, get us started here. Uh, and one of the most common one is uh, from 1 John. It says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in action and in, what's the word? Truth. Let us not love in word or talk, not, not just empty words, but in action and in, and in truth. And so you, you begin to get this thing that's all through Scripture, and that is truth and love cannot be separated. And if you try to separate them and you do one without the other, it, it just it becomes a mess really quickly. With, with love without truth, all of a sudden people don't actually get the help they need because you have to speak the truth to get there. It's just kind of a mushy, romantic thing. And, and truth without love becomes hard and judgmental and, and difficult and people don't get the message because it wasn't delivered uh, in, in love. And so this is, let, let us not love one another but, but in, with word or talk but in action and in truth. Another one, uh, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him that is the head into Christ. And so um, speaking the truth in love is so important, especially for those of us that are head people. So let me just say this, and if it applies to you, then hear me, O church. Truth should never be weaponized. Understand what I'm saying? You met that person that spoke truth, and it seemed like it was more about hurting that person or more about being right than it was in loving that person and helping that person. And we're going to talk a little bit about the dangers of people like me uh, because, because this can really become a thing where, where truth gets to be, you know, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to straighten them out. And sometimes I get this with, with people that, that want us to preach hellfire and damnation all the time, you know, speaking the truth. Do I believe that, that, that we could be eternally separated from God? I, I do. But that is not the place you start with people, okay? You know? Have you, have you seen some church signs? You know, it's like turn or burn. Can't you imagine people are just flocking in that don't know Jesus when they, they you know, it never weaponize the truth. Speak the truth uh, in, in love. Uh, and then another one. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is uh, one approved. A worker who, does, who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. I exactly right. And this is uh, written to Timothy, who was a young pastor from Paul, uh, kind of giving him instructions. And every pastor, I think, resonates with this. But it applies even beyond that. It applies especially to everyone who is a teacher in the church in some way, shape, 
uh, or form. And the scary thing about this isn't what it says, but what it implies, and that is this. You can wrongly handle the word of truth. Okay? And, and so this, this is just one of those constant cautions to me. It's why I went to school for so long. And I always worry about people that just want to talk about truth but don't want to talk about how they got to the truth. Because the process matters. In fact, if you tell me the process, I can tell you where you're going to end up. And so when I went to seminary, it was super important to me. I had to learn original languages. In fact, when I went to seminary, you had to pass a Greek uh, proficiency test before you could even enter the seminary. And you had to take all this stuff and all these things because the process matters. And so uh, it's super important for us that we, we rightly divide, rightly handle the, the word of truth. Uh, and then another one uh, amongst my favorite verses. Do not be conformed to this world, but be being transformed. Those of you who've hung around here a while, remember the Greek. It's the idea you have been transformed, you continue to be transformed. We really don't have a, a verb tense for that in English. Uh, but be being transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, can you can may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so a couple of things. It is through your mind, through the transformation of your mind, that you can detect God's will, that you can understand God's will for your life and God's will in, in the world, theology, all of that kind of thing. And it is by the transformation of your mind that this happens. So the headpiece is just so, so uh, important. And here, here's the good news about this. When you understand how God really works, it changes everything. It is so powerful. I love digging in to the truth of God's word. But the way God talks about truth is a little bit different than the way we talk about truth sometimes. The Greek word uh, for truth here um, is aletheia. Say aletheia. Yeah, see, can you tell that, that I connect with my head? We're going to do Greek. We do Greek a lot around here, okay? Aletheia. And, and the, aletheia is a compound word in English of two parts. One of them means uh, no, N-O, or not, not K-O-N-O, but no, or not, and then the second word uh, means uh, hidden or secret. So here's here's what it would mean. The literal translation would be uh, nothing hidden or no secrets. Nothing hidden or no secrets. That's what truth is uh, in the Bible when you read that word. Now today, when we think about the word truth, we tend to think factual, right? So if something is factual, it is true. And that's not a bad way. That's kind of the world we live in, the scientific uh, world we live in. But these two are not quite the same. And, and here's why this becomes important. You can speak things to people for which everything you say is factual, but you deliberately mislead them. This is a politician's favorite kind of way of doing it, right? You know? Nobody can say they lied because we've reduced truth to facts, right? So everything they said was factual, but in the end, they pointed you in an inappropriate direction. And I, you've, some of you have heard me say this before. My last church, um, I, got, I got a report from someone in my church that one of my associates had been seen at a strip club. Now, that's a pretty serious charge, right? What they left out was that a whole bunch of us pastors went together to a conference in St. Louis. We got turned around and went across the river into Illinois, and there was like nothing out there. It's pitch black. We finally come to one, one last little exit. We exited. There was a little shop over here we could see because it was dark. We go over there. We, we pull in there, and there's a gal walking across the, the parking lot, and we stop and we ask her for directions. But we were all too stupid to realize we were in the parking lot of a strip joint. You see how leaving out the facts changes everything, you know? 
And when we realized it, we were mortified, you know. So, so th th this is why truth, truth for God is, it's okay, look at it all. I have nothing to hide. God wants us to discover stuff. That's the beauty of science is it's always digging into how God deads things. There's, there's nothing hidden. There's, there's no secrets at all, at all in this. Uh, but, but the problem with the factual thing is that, that we think, say things are real based on them being factual. But there's assumption in there. And the assumption is there that we know all the facts. That, that we know everything there is, is to know about this. The, the, the definition comes back ultimately to our own knowledge. It doesn't leave room for God. And, and so in, in that kind of a system, a factual kind of system, something doesn't really exist until we know what it is. And the classic way I think about this is the, the mountain gorilla. How, how many of you know well, when the mountain gorilla is? You all know what a mountain gorilla is, the big silverbacks. You've seen them on National Geographic, that kind of thing. Anyone know when we discovered those? 1902. So just a little over a hundred years ago. And before they discovered mountain gorillas, there was this huge debate in the scientific community because they kept getting these reports about mountain gorillas. They'd seen low-lying gorillas, but they hadn't seen mountain gorillas. And, and there's like papers written about how these people that, that are claiming this are just wrong and, and they don't know what they're talking about and they're confused and, and all of this sort of thing. And there was a really strong consensus that, that mountain gorillas were in the category of Sasquatch, right? You know? Some of you are going, hey, we believe in Sasquatch, you know. So, um, so th 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 that was this thing. And then finally in, in 1902, a German officer uh, who was a scientist actually saw one. And all of a sudden, everybody believed in mountain gorillas. Because now they had the facts, right? Do you think that mountain gorillas didn't exist before 1902? Anybody believe that? No, what happened was man finally caught up with it, and then, and then they, they saw it. And so uh, that, that's the problem with facts. But God's truth is like, my truth is way bigger than you can understand. Mine is open, and it's, it's for everybody out there. And so here's what I know for sure. All truth is God's truth. Amen? All truth is God's truth. This is why I never worry about science. And I get, you know, some Christians get really worked up about stuff. It's no big deal. Scientists will eventually catch up to God, okay? It just, it takes them a while, you know? And if they're ever doing that, I'm going, hey, God's already said about that kind of thing, you know? And they're just discovering what, what God has done. So, so here's how I think about science. For those of you who are thinkers, we sometimes struggle because sometimes something in science doesn't look like, and we don't know how to, how to, how to handle all of that. And here's, here's what I say. Science is not wrong, it's just inadequate. It hasn't yet discovered everything. It, there isn't a place for God in that. And it, it, so, so when they say that this table is real, this table is real. Just ask the guy that had to haul it all the way up here. You know, it's heavy and, you, and the top comes off sometimes. It, it, it's real. But does that, does that make sense to you? This has been one of the things that's helped me a lot. Science isn't wrong, it's just inadequate. It didn't know there were gorillas until 1902. What else don't they know? Well, there's a ton of stuff they don't know that they will discover uh, eventually. And so uh, just let God defend himself. God is perfectly capable of defending themselves. So here's another thing I know about us. Head people have lots of questions. How many of you asked an awkward question when you were a kid or a teenager? This was like my spiritual gift growing up, okay? You know, I, I, I'm telling you today... I, I am, am much more careful, I know this is hard to believe, I'm much more careful about what I say than I was when I was a teenager, right? Like when I was a teenager, there was no clutch between my brain and my mouth. And, and so if I saw something that was wrong, I was always asking the, the hard question. Made people uncomfortable, you know. And I thought, oh, this is a terrible thing. And I grew up around people that were real uncomfortable with that, you know. And, and you know then what I discovered one day? 
Okay, um, here's what I discovered. Asking hard questions about God and faith is not heresy. It's being like Jesus. Jesus asked hard questions all the time. Listen to some of these. Who do you say that I am? To Peter. And in order to confess that Jesus was God in the flesh, he would have to give up all kinds of ways he had been taught for generations to think about how God worked. It was a big deal. Peter, do you love me? After he had fallen. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, yet fail to perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? Don't you think that made people just love Jesus? You know? <laughs> just, oh man, do you believe I can do this? Ah, uh, uh, never seen it done. Which of you who has a sheep that falls into the pit on Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? And Sabbath was their most important law. This is like, you think about the most important religious rule, Jesus is breaking it, and now he's given a rationale where they all go, uh, yeah, what's the right answer here? He's always asking questions like that. And so here's, here's where I think, why I think this is so important that, that you connect to God with your head uh, and for those of us that do connect with the God that way. Many people reject Christianity because we have failed to provide strong answers to honest questions. This, this just matters a lot to me. This is kind of my thing. I love talking to people um, that are thinkers and they ask hard, hard questions like I started asking when my friend died. And, and so easy, so many religious people just kind of give an answer that's, that's a pat answer or it, it's like, don't really ask that question or how dare you question God or you just got to trust God. You know, I, I trust God. I, I really do trust God. But I still got questions. And, and we need to be a people that give strong answers to, to hard questions because when we fail to do that, people assume we don't have any answers. We don't participate in the conversation. Th this came home to me uh, a, a while back when I was going through radiation. Uh, and they, uh, they, you know, I've already told you about the gowns. I think radiation is just designed to humiliate you. I think that's the point. Um, and so, so you, once a week when you go in, you have to go, go through a medical check. And so the very first thing they do is they make you get on the scales, right? So it's like right off the bat. It's like, oh, man. You know, and then you got to go through all the rest of the day. You take your blood pressure. It's like, well, you just made me step on the, on the scales. Of course my blood pressure is up. You know? What were you thinking? Um, but this tech that was, that was doing it this one day, and you guys know me well enough to know, I always start up a conversation, right? Uh, and so he, after we talked a little bit, he said, don't I know you from someplace, you know? And I said, yeah, you look really familiar to me. Well, it turns out he was one of the techs on the... Um, on the floor when I was having chemo, right? So he had, had done the whole thing up there. And, and so we kind of reconnected a little bit. And he said, I remember you. You're the really religious guy, right? <laughs> that would be me, yes. <laughs> you know? So, so he was kind of talking about that. And I said, you know, he, he started it, right? So I said, are you religious? Uh, and he said, uh, no. And, and uh, being nosier than I should, I, I said, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a preacher, what can I say? And there was a pause. And I mean, it was like a really long pause, and he had this kind of look on his face, and I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I wonder what's coming with all of this. Kind of uncomfortably long pause. And pretty soon he said to me something that, that just broke my heart. He said, I believe in science. And I realized he saw those two as incompatible. 
and can I be just frank and just speak the truth in love a little bit here? That's on us as Christians. Because we have drawn this, here's a big word, dichotomy, where it's either science or it's faith. And that is wrong. It's just wrong. And, it just, and, and so I said to him, listen, I, those two don't have to be in competition. I understand that those two work together. It's just discovering God's creation in the process. And then it was time to go and we had to leave. So you be praying that he gets transferred back up to the chemo ward when I have my last two. Because we got an unfinished conversation and I'm going to talk about it. And he started it, so it's okay and all of that too. So, um, so it's so important that we, we give strong answers to honest kinds of questions. And then uh, here's the truth. Theology is a conversation between God and humanity. We are constantly learning and growing and understanding God better than we, we did in, 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 the, in the past. Um, it, it's hard as we do this. I, I think of this like the relationship between a parent and a child, right? When your kid is five, they can understand a certain amount of things, but they really don't understand entirely how the w world works. But, but when they're 15, they understand better how they work, and you can share more with them. And when they're 25, you can share more with them, and, and 35 and 40, they get, the older they get, the, the more they can understand until, well, about 60, then it starts going the other way. But we won't talk about that. Um, and, and so that, that's the way it is with God. The longer we have to, to think about God, the more we understand. And that's not just, that's certainly in our lives personally, but that's also in the, the grand scale of, the, uh, of history. So we understand in some ways more about God than we did 500 years ago. And they understood more than they did 1,000 years ago. And they understood more than they did 50. Just because humanity's had more time to think about it and write about it and, 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 and process it in their lives. In fact, there's a, a theological world that's called progressive revelation. Say, progressive revelation. Yeah, and, and so the, the more we, we think about it, the better we become at knowing it. And when you're a child, you can't understand it all. This, this is what I think of as kind of the Jack Nif Nicholson example or, of theology. You know, remember the movie, It's uh, A Few Good Men. Yeah, I, I don't know if you, but there's a famous line where Jack Nicholson is playing a colonel and, and he's being questioned and, and the, finally the lawyer says, well, I want the truth. And he goes, you can't handle the truth, you know. Well, there's a certain sense in which that's exactly right. When you're young, you can't, and you get older. And, and there are things that they're going to understand a thousand years from now if the Lord would tell you that today I don't understand. There are a bunch of questions where I go, Lord, I, 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 I don't know. In fact, I say to my daughter, who's a member of the clergy, I say, there's some of this stuff you're just going to have to work out because it's, it's hard stuff. And so we're always learning in, in our lives. And, and it's all about this long walk with God uh, that we have uh, and, and science is always catching up with this. And so um, here's a, a really important truth uh, that I think this, this changed my life. Uh, how you think about God determines how you relate to God. And for all of you in the emotional hands part, if you want a reason to dig in, this is it. How you think about God determines how you relate to God. If you think God is a mean, angry judge, then you think God is always out to get you and you got to watch every step and you start hiding stuff from God because he's going to let you have it, you know? Or, or if you think God is a vending machine, you're, you're trying to do the right thing all the time and earn points so you can put that in the vending machine and get out of God what you want, push the right number. Or, or if you think God is, is Santa, you think that he's just going to bless you with everything all the time. Everything will be happy. Follow God. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Don't you wish that were true? I do. How you think about God. But if you think about God as our loving parent, it changes everything. 
It change, changes everything. We are his, his children and he loves us and he cares for us. And he encourages us and he's for us. And, and yes, he sets boundaries. Love sets boundaries. Amen? You, we, we do that. And, and sometimes he disciplines us and gets after us. Some of us, like me, he gets after a lot because we're kind of hard-headed, but, but he, he's there for us and all of that. And if you get a hold of that, it'll completely change the way you think about God and how he works in our lives. And so just to say this as clearly as I possibly can, God loves you more than you love your children. God loves you more than you love your children. I, th this, is, this is so important. How much do you love your children? Without limit, right? You'd give everything for them. It's, you know, you'd, you'd lay down your life for them. God loves you more than that. Not because there's something wrong with you, but because God's capacity for love is greater than yours. And God loves your children more than you love your children. In fact, he did lay down his life for them. And so understand, it's so important. God is a loving parent. This is what good theology did for me. I, I came to understand this, and it just it changed everything for me. God loves you more than you love your children. And then just kind of a word of warning for some of us that are in this category. Um, it is not enough to be right. You have to be like Jesus. It's not enough to be right. Okay, I have given over... So much of my life, a decade of my life in school and lots of treasure and made lots of sacrifices uh, to pursue theology, to pursue understanding God so that when I stood here before you, I'd, I'd get it right. But getting it right doesn't mean you can treat people bad. It, it, you still have to be like Jesus. Amen? And, and so uh, that's why I think Jesus said, speaking the truth in love. And I will tell you, I've come to a place in my personal journey where I really believe if you can't speak the truth in love, don't speak the truth. Because you'll do more damage than you will be a blessing and a grace to them. It's just so important that we get this. In, in part, the, the, the world around us doesn't trust us because of these kinds of things. It's not because what we said isn't true. It's because we've done it in such an awful sort of way, in a judgmental, pointing finger kind of way, in a way that, that pushes people away, rather than a way that is attractive. I think one of the things that stuns me about Jesus is he spoke hard truth, and the crowds couldn't get enough of it. They followed him because he loved them, even when he was speaking that. See, the spiritual danger for head people is that we can become arrogant and self-righteous. We can become the Pharisees and the Sadducees of our time because we're right. I studied it. And, I, and I'm really good at this because if you start to get the best of me, I say, well, in the Greek, you know. And if they go, what? I go, so you don't speak Greek? Oh, good. So in the Greek, you know, it's easy for us. So this is, a, you, you all know that I, I practice spiritual disciplines. I have kind of a, a regimented way I, I go about doing that. And part of that, I have a prayer life that involves uh, a number of scriptures right at the beginning when I, when I start praying for the day includes the Lord's Prayer. But th this is the one that um, has become really important to me and I think is important to all head people. If you're a head person, you need to memorize this. And I, say, I pray this every day to the Lord, and it is this from Psalms 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth that's where the, if I can't say it in love, I ain't going to say it. 
and the meditations in my heart. That's the inner thing. And can I, can I tell you this? It, for us head people, we, we need to make sure we are careful with our tongues. So that's the first part. But if you'll get to that second part and get the Lord, say, Lord, guard the meditations of my heart. Because when you get the meditations of the heart right, getting the tongue right's a lot easier. It really is. And so I, I just want to encourage you with that one. And then I know that um, everyone who strives to understand God and grasp his truth should do so with a profound sense of humility. We are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. And we're never going to get it. The very best we're ever going to do is scratch the surface. Amen? And if you think you know a lot about God, congratulations, you're wrong. And that applies to the most brilliant thing. Because all we can do is barely scratch the surface of what God did. Here, here's the way I think about this. When compared to God, we are finite. We live, you know, a few decades. We are limited. We are short-lived. We are in, ignorant, stupid creatures trying to understand an infinite, limitless, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. We should be humble. Amen? In all that we do. Vigorously pursue God. Ask hard questions. But speak in love. So let me say as we kind of wrap up this series, however you connect with God, connect with God. Let me try that again. However you connect with God, connect with God. If you're a service person, do more of it. If you're feeling dry spiritually, how you move towards God is you do service. Do that sort of thing. If you're a heart person and it's emotional, man, do not be late for the music on Sunday morning, okay? Raise your hands, move around. It don't matter if it makes other people feel awkward. It's good for them, you know? It's okay. It's okay. You know, if it's in art, then, then look at art. If it's in the nature, get out in nature. Do whatever it is. If it's head things, then, then wrap your, your mind and your body back in God's word. Don't miss your devotions if you're a head person. Question everything. Come talk to me if you're that kind of person. I, I would love to talk, to talk with you. And I guarantee you, you do not have a question that, that's going to make me feel awkward or embarrassed or anything like that. I've had people say, oh, I don't want to, I don't, because I think you'll, you know, this is kind of a big thing and I think you're wrong, so let me ask this question. And then they ask me the question, it's like, man, I've been talking about that since I was like 20 years old. So it's just, it's just I'm, I'm, oh, I'm okay with that, let's do that. And so after all of this time of connecting to God, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to either connect or reconnect with God. Maybe, maybe you, you're here and you're not really a follower of Jesus. You're just kind of checking it out. Man, I'd love to talk with you. I love the, the head stuff. Or, or maybe you've kind of gotten away from God and it's time to come back in all of this. I, I just want to say to you, try God. Give, just give God a chance. If you're in that atheist category, well, I don't know whether God exists. I, I, I just want to challenge you to, to try it. Because there's zero risk involved, right? If you try God and God doesn't really exist, nothing happens and you're fine. Amen? Okay? But if God does exist and you encounter the living God, you'll be changed forever. And so I, I just want to, we're going to sing in just a minute. And I, I want to encourage you to open your heart to God. Say, listen, God, I don't know whether you exist or not, you know. But if you do... Would you come into my life and would you speak to me and would you show me that you're real? Put God to the test. There's a, a, a prayer that I, I just love about these things. In Mark chapter 9, a man comes to Jesus and his, his son is, is possessed. Uh, and, and they describe the symptoms. He couldn't talk. 
and, and he throws himself on the ground and he foams at, at the mouth and he becomes rigid. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had a child like that? How that would just break a father's heart. You'd do anything. And, and in fact, with this boy, sometimes he would throw him into the fire or into the water to drown him. And, and he comes to Jesus. He's absolutely desperate for something to find a fix. He's taken him to all the doctors. In fact, the, the disciples, the apostles have tried to, to heal him, and they, they can't do it. And, and Jesus shows up, and, and, and he says to Jesus, if you can help him. And Jesus kind of stops him right there and says, everything is possible with God. And then the man says something very profound. He says, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I have prayed that prayer so many times. Are you okay with your pastor confessing that? I have struggled with this. I have struggled with doubt. Doubt is a good thing because it drives you forward. We, we, we are a people that constantly need to pray, I believe God, help thou my unbelief. Help me to grow. Help me to become like Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe, would you just pray that prayer as we sing, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Because Jesus promised that he came to give us life and that more abundantly. To give us real, eternal, spiritual life. And so the last thing I just know for sure, God's love for you is reckless. It, it really is reckless. This is a crazy story about a God who keeps pursuing you even though you push him away, that comes after you even though you don't believe in him, who, who keeps coming for you even when you sin and you reject him and you put him all in the past and, 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 and in the midst of all of that, he just keeps coming after you. It's just a reckless sort of thing. In fact, it dawned on me this week, if Jesus has had a therapist, his therapist would have said, you got a boundary problem. <laughs> you know, you're a stalker. He was reckless and it cost him his life. And that's how much he loves you. Let God in. And as we pray in just a minute, I'm going to just ask you if you just open your heart to God. You don't have to tell anybody, but, but open your heart to God and let him in. And then we're going to sing this wonderful song, Reckless Love. And we're going to worship the Lord in giving as well. Woohoo! yeah, as we sing. And if you're a guest, if you'd put the communication card, if all of you would put the communication card in, that's great. If you're a guest, I'll send you an email. I won't put you on a giant mailing list. We're really glad that you're here. Would you bow your heads? Father God, Lord, I know that this head issue really keeps a lot of people out because they just got a lot of questions. And I remember the journey I went on when I had a lot of questions, the crisis of faith when, when Teresa died, Lord, and how hard that was. And, and so, Father, I pray for that one that's sitting here this morning grappling with, with this and aware that they need something more in their life, but not sure how to get there and not sure they even believe in God. And if they do believe in God, they're not sure what God is like. And they just, Father, would you just allow them in this moment to put you to the test? Say, if you're real, come in and show me. Uh, I'll follow you. And, and so, Father, I pray that this holy moment you would speak to hearts and minds. Father, that the living God in your Holy Spirit would be here. And if you're in that place, just, just say, God, I don't know if you're real, but come into my life. Forgive my past. He'll, he's the only one that can do that. And if you're real and you'll show me, I'll, I'll follow you all the days of my life. And if you do that in that moment, you're born into new life. And so, Father, I pray your blessing upon each one that's praying that prayer right now. And I pray, Father, that you would um, continue to bless and guide them as we go from this place. I pray you would be lifted up as we're reminded of your reckless love. We just ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.